Welcome to episode 94 of the Gump Hunters podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell. Jeremy Law might be in and out. Um, he's uh, actually on vacation with his family down at the beach this week. Um, but we have Landon Beeman fill in for him. Landon, a former guest on the on the show. Um, glad to have him back. Very knowledgeable of the game. Big Alabama fan knows what's going on. Um, so Landon, welcome in. This week we're um we usually we've been starting with the Jalen Milrow and Tommy Reese. You know, that that's those are the two guys we've been starting with, harping on, kind of grading their performance for the week. Everybody kind of saw what what that second half entailed. I thought it was really good second quarter, and then third and fourth quarter were just brutal. It's almost like Alabama's taking one step forward and two steps back at this point. So we'll get into that later. Um, we haven't had a ton of defensive talk, especially early in the program. So that's what we want to do today. We want to start with the defensive side of the ball. Um, giving up 21 points to Arkansas, I know it's probably a little more than what the fans would have wanted. But still in the spread era, when you're facing a quarterback that's played five or six years in college, that's pretty good. Um, and you got to think, Jalen Key has a face mask penalty that extended the drive, couldn't get off the field on third down there. And then everybody saw the play where Terry on Arnold just had K.J. Jefferson dead to rights, had him wrapped up. K.J. Jefferson using the big upper body strength, um, shucks him off and, and throws the ball. And they get down to about the 10-yard line and punch it in. Again, so really, you know, that led to – you know, 14 points for them. So I don't think it was another solid outing by the uh, by the defense this week. But, Lester, let's start with you. Just the defense as a whole, not only this game, but all season. Just give me a grade for all three positions. You know, D-line, linebacker, secondary. You've had some guys kind of slipping in and out. Haven't had a lot of major injuries on the defensive line. But, of course, you know, Deontay Lawson missed the game. Um, Tresman Marshall, you said, gets banged up every game. And uh, Malachi Moore did not play this week. Talk about what, what you've seen from the defense and, and also Kevin Steele through so far this season and uh, in this past Saturday against Arkansas. Yeah, um, outside of Saturday, um, there's one stat that I found that was extremely interesting is um, in the second half, I guess it was the past couple games or maybe it was for the season, but Alabama has only given up 13, 16 points or something like that in, in the second half. So, I mean, I I think the defense has been phenomenal all year. And, of course, based on that stat, they have been phenomenal in the second half. That tells me that during halftime, those guys are coached up. The information is relayed to whatever the opposing offense is doing. It's related to Kevin Steele. It's related to the staff. And from there, they are making adjustments and are choking people out in the second half. I love that. That's that's really, really important. Um, especially to get later on into the season as offenses get more creative and they bring more stuff out. Knowing that you have a have a defensive coordinator that can go in and communicate to his team and the team executes what's being communicated to them, that's impressive. And I love to see that. And that's one of the reasons why I love this defense. It tells me that they're they're definitely talented and that, that they are definitely coachable, and that will take you a long way. And also the speed of of getting the calls in, you know how like Correct. Yes. one thing that you've been big on this year, and you saw it first game against Middle Tennessee State was the fact that there's not a lot of confusion on on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, calls are getting down from the booth; they're getting signaled in fast. Uh, Kevin Steele, he's sure about what he wants to do, and he has a, a ton of faith in his system and a ton of faith in his playmakers. Really, uh, he doesn't mind leaving guys on islands. He doesn't mind bringing six, seven man pressures on, on any down. 
Um, he doesn't mind bringing pressures from the middle, from the corner. You know, he 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 mixes. He does, he has a very good mix, and he's not scared to do it at any time in the game. Um, if J Law gets on here, I will definitely ask him about this because he's been such a an anti Freddie Roach guy. Uh, you know, Freddie Roach, Alabama's defensive line coach. But Landon, I'll, I'll ask you this. Um, J-Law always talks about the development of the defensive line, and really we all do. There's tons of talent there. You've got three or four five-star type players or former five-star players coming out of high school that start and rotate for this Alabama D-line, and you really haven't seen a ton of success there. Now you've got guys like Tim Keenan coming in. Um, Tim Smith is playing really well, 44, 93. Uh, James Smith, 47, he's in there. there there's, there's multiple guys contributing, and there's a really good rotation that Alabama has right now. Um, especially on the interior defensive line. I was thinking about it re-watching the game, and my question to you, Landon, was this a product of Freddie Roach not developing the defensive lineman, or was it Golding not putting them in the right spots in a system? Because I just – it's hard for me to believe that a defensive line could improve this much in one offseason, especially losing a guy like Will Anderson. Now, I understand Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner are freaks, and Dallas Turner's played a lot of football, and Chris Braswell, you know, has been in the program for four years. He's a senior. He's bought his time. He's paid his dues. But I just don't see how a defensive line improves this much in one offseason. Uh, these defensive linemen are playing with their hair on fire. And do you think it was maybe it, – it was Roach as much as it was Golding and his system that that put the defensive line in bad situations to be successful? I think it's definitely. I think you definitely have to look at Pete Golding here as opposed to more than Freddie Roach. I think Freddie Roach was doing all he could, but I also think Pete Golding had his hand way too much in the cookie jar as far as it goes. I mean, you're starting to see guys now like Jamarian Latham of all guys, like against Arkansas, he graded the best out of all of our pass rushers, believe it or not, against Arkansas. Uh, you're seeing, like you said, James Smith. You're seeing all these guys, Tim Keenan coming out of nowhere this year, being a real big, big key for us, rotating in Damon Payne, uh, Jaheim Otis, obviously, Tim Smith, all these guys. And I think one of the things that I was a big – my big complaint with Pete Golding is he went – you know, we have the term heavy nickel. We have the term like light nickel, running two interior D linemen and then with two outside, outside backers. You're starting to see now with us, we run a lot more with three traditional down linemen and then just have the one outside pass rusher. As opposed, and then, you know, we swap that out on third and longs, depending. We may go with nickel rabbits or something like that. So I think you're seeing a lot more heavy nickel under Kevin Steele. And I think Freddie Roach uh, really enjoys that. Compared to Pete Golding, he seemed to run like lighter boxes. And we got gashed in the run game, it seemed like, under him uh, a lot. I mean, even, you know, I obviously played Tennessee this week. You know, last year when we played Tennessee – you know, they had right at 200 yards rushing. Everybody focuses on, you know, Jalen Hyatt did this and that. No one ever talks about Tennessee almost had right at 200 yards rushing on us last year. And I think a lot of that is because Pete Golding are in so many light boxes. And Freddie, and we, and Freddie Roach was getting, like, a lot of unfair blame here. He really was. But Alabama this year, like, stopping the run with the defensive line, I mean, it has been – it's been very good. I mean, we're, you know – Three, three yards of carry is what we're averaging, you know, giving up on the year. I mean, which is really good, a hell, a hell of an improvement from last year. 
Uh, so definitely, definitely will be pointing more than Pete Golding and Kevin Steele's come in and developed a whole different intensity for this team. And Freddie Roach is feeding off that, and I am very happy to see to see it in the development of the defensive line. Yeah, and, and when you talk about the light boxes, whenever you're facing a team like Tennessee, who runs a lot of five man protections, meaning that you know they're going to go a lot of eleven personnel and uh, or ten personnel. They're, they're going to run a lot of four four wide receiver, four wide receiver sets. Um, is prevalent in their offense, and that's the reason they're they're able to run the ball so much because usually they have five on five in the box. So if you can't win your one on ones, if you can't beat double teams on the interior of the defensive line and set the edge as a defensive end slash outside linebacker, um, you really can struggle against this Tennessee run game. And I think they're top five in the nation right now. They're running for over 230 yards a game. So, you know, Joe Milton's really not getting it done. Josh Heupel's done a good job of spreading the field and throwing side to side and also using those to, to, to run the ball against a, a lighter box like you were talking about. Um, you know, for me, watching this defense, the, the defense plays pissed off. It, it looks – and I'm not saying they, they're the same level, but I don't think they're far from it. Uh, they, they look like Georgia's defense the last two years as far as how they play. Um, it's almost like it's a miracle to get a pass off, and if you do, it's got a really good chance of getting intercepted or your receiver's going to get tagged. Something Something's going to happen. Um, and to me, it's just – it's insane that – Saban let Pete Golding hang around for as long as he did. And I understand that he's never fired a coordinator. Um, but at some point, that guy, you had to determine that he was the he was the main issue on the defensive side of the ball. Because I believe last year's defense had just as much talent as this one. Um, some guys have had – they've been in the program, had a chance to develop. But you're still starting a freshman at strong safety. I know he's good. But, I mean, Jordan Battles, Battles a fifth-year guy. Helms is a fifth-, six-year guy. Um, so you had plenty of experience back there on, on last year's defense, plus Will Anderson. Um, and, you know, it seems like Golden kind of took all the hope away the last three or four years. I think Kevin Steele was a tremendous hire by Saban, who has this defense kind of playing with the it's like aggression and hatred, so to speak, at all three levels. Like they're playing fast, they're they're sure of what they're doing. Just a tremendous improvement uh to me on, on that side of the football. Moving on to the offensive side, um, guys, y'all have heard us complain for, what, six out of seven weeks now? I guess five out of seven. We were positive after Middle Tennessee, positive after Texas A&M. So five out of seven weeks, you've heard the same old stuff from us. Who's going to keep tuning in to to hear the same old crap? Um, you know, Jalen Milrow, three of 11, 23 yards in the second half. There's still a swinging gate at left tackle. You know, Pritchett gives gives up two sacks. Proctor gives up two or three sacks. Still a very bland running game. Nothing's getting figured out. Your center's still terrible. Um, I think the only difference between this game against Arkansas and the previous six was our receivers, pass catchers, have made circus catches. It's something that we've talked about. They've made circus catches all year, and they didn't make them this game. So – you can't expect your receivers to make tremendous catches 100% of the time. You know, guys like Bond, Hill, Burton had what some people might might have called drops, when in reality they but it would have been remarkable catches if they would have hung on, which they had the first six games. So Jalen Milrow really struggling in the second half. Um, probably the worst he's looked all season without turning the ball over. But uh, 
Landon, going back to you, just Jalen Milrow, we'll start on him, we'll move on to Tommy Reese, and then I want to get your take on the offensive line as well because this is a a, a different view. You know, you're, you're a guy who hasn't – you've listened to the podcast, but you might have something we haven't talked about what your stance is. You might be the same, you might be different, I don't know. But just tell everybody listening out there what you thought of Jalen Milrow, not only in the, in the Arkansas game, but – but all season this year, and what and what you see from him? Well, uh, the positives of Jalen Milrow, obviously, look, we all know the guy has a really good ceiling. He's a hell of an athlete. He's 6'2", 220 pounds. He's got, a, he's got a good arm on him. We know all the positives. He's absolutely chiseled from the waist down, all, the, all that fun stuff that's really great when you look at him as opposed to, like, Bryce Young last year, really short in stature, you know, all that fun stuff. Can he see over the line of scrimmage type of thing we always kept hearing? You know, little things like that. But the negatives with Jalen Milrow, I've never seen a player so polarizing to watch. I've never seen a man that can take a ball and drop it 60 to 65 yards downfield in a five-gallon bucket, but cannot throw it three within what behind the line of scrimmage to 15 20 yards like over the middle like I like I don't know if Jalen Milrow could hit a 15 yard crossing pattern consistently I really don't know if he could if he could do that I know against A&M we all saw the you know the the change at the line of scrimmage which was either Milrow or Tommy Reese was great play call um by the way to the uh, slant over the middle to Burton for the touchdown. And, you know, he hit Burton in stride and all that stuff. I believe he could run that play ten times. I still – I don't. I think he would go one of ten hitting him like that because the intermediate passing game with him is non-existent. I mean, I've sent – I sent y'all pictures. Watch – re-watching the game, you know, when you're a quarterback and you're struggling, obviously the deep ball is great to have, but, you know – it's sometimes it is okay to check down the football and let your playmakers make plays. Let Jace McClellan make a play. Let Roydell Williams make a play. You know, the man has running backs open behind the line of scrimmage, but his eyes are constantly looking downfield because he's wanting the big play. And to hit to Jalen's credit, he's very good at throwing the deep ball. He really is. But we saw Arkansas in the second half right there really take it away from him because and to be to be fair I don't blame them you know you're down 21-6 Sam Pittman goes in at halftime and he says okay if we're going to lose we're going to lose but I refuse to give up the deep balls anymore if they have to run it down my throat then so be it I have nothing to lose here I'm already down 21-6 it can't get much worse and Jalen refuses to do it and and it's so crazy you know we could say well can he throw him can he do this can he do that I don't know if he can throw him but he doesn't even try, and they're there to help him. I th- this year, I, according to Pro Football Focus, Jalen Miller has only thrown nine screen passes this year total. That's all he's thrown, nine screen passes. I'm trying, we to, are, I'm trying to remember those nine, I, you know, because I saw that same thing. Exactly. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I don't remember hardly any of them. Exactly, and we're and we're facing head a heavy box, six to seven guys in a box constantly, and they're blitzing, stunting, doing everything. Screens are open; they're gonna be open. They're gonna all those defenders are gonna fly upfield trying to go after the quarterback, and the screens are gonna be there. It's it's natural. 
I mean, hell, we've all played NCAA football. When someone blitzed you like hell, what'd you do? You always just put up halfback screen because there's no, you have nothing at green grass in front of you. It's absolutely mind boggling to me how I watch this man do this. And, you know, people want to throw, throw shade at Tommy Reese and whatnot. I, I'm not, I'm not there yet where I'm like one of those guys that I want to just kill Tommy Reese and all that stuff. Because when I rewatch the games and I see open receivers and the quarterback doesn't look their way, why, why am I going to blame the offensive coordinator because the quarterback refuses the ball, throw the ball to the open man? I, I, I can't, I'm not there yet to do that. Now, we still have a lot more games to go on. But so far what I've seen of Jalen, it's you know, like deep ball, hey, he's got it. He's got it down. But I'm still – we're at a third of the passing game. You know, we got the intermediate and we got the short game. And so far, an intermediate short game, he's failed and he's failed miserably. He really has. And then, you know, we've heard Cole Kublet talk about how, you know, he can't run the zone read properly. And if he could, oh, my Lord, the avenues it would open up for the offense because of how fast Jalen is and all that stuff. When he, I mean, Jalen gets three steps running. I mean, he's hell to bring down. That's going to be tough to bring down for any defender. How do you but think that's if possible? He, I, I don't know. I don't know how the hell we winded up with a quarterback like Jalen, who's so physically gifted but cannot run the zone read. I but mean, that's, that's the thing. If, if that's true, what Cole Kublik said, and if you didn't catch it, I, heard, I saw the same thing on, on his podcast. He said that whenever he was down there for, I think, it was the Middle Tennessee State game. He asked yeah. about he was he asked around and and from what he was told Jalen Milrow really struggles with the mesh of the zone read, meaning when do I pull it? Whenever he was pulling, I don't know if there was fumbling going on. He was just making the wrong read, whatever it was. Allegedly, the rumor is according to Cole Kublik, he's not good at it. So Landon, you you watch you watch Jacksonville State. Me and Lester love watching Jacksonville State play football. They play playing on Tuesday and Wednesday nights every week. They actually play. Tuesday night this week. So whenever we release this podcast, they play tonight, watch it. It's, it's a great offense to watch. You mm -hmm. watch 30 games in a weekend, just about every damn quarterback, unless you're a statue back there, is running zone read. And so how do 80, 90, 100 plus quarterbacks in the FBS can they can run a mesh zone, they can mesh the zone read, but Alabama, who has one of the fastest quarterbacks, in the FBS, they can't run his own read because he can't run it. That just doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's crazy to me because like even Tommy Reese, you know, people think like, oh, Tommy Reese isn't calling the plays and all. Like he's not calling them, and I'm like, he's not calling them for a reason, and it's because obviously Jalen Milrow cannot run them. The man at Notre Dame had Brandon Wimbush, Ian Book, Buckner. You go back and watch all those quarterbacks. He's running the zone read with them a lot. I mean, hell, Nick Marshall's a literate ass even ran the zone read. But we somehow winded up with the one guy who couldn't. It's 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 really it was one of the craziest things. Even Ty Simpson came in in the Mississippi State game in garbage time and kept kept it immediately. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I leave I leave watching it and I'm like, man, if Jalen could run the zone read he would add a different dimension to that because now opposing teams have watched six to seven games of Jalen now, and they're like, why even prepare for it? He's not going to do it. They're not going to call it because he can't do it. So you that's one thing they don't even have to prepare for. 
Yeah, and and I, if it were me, I, I still think there's plenty of ways to get – and we'll get into Tommy Reese in a little bit. I wanted to touch on uh, Jalen's performance first. But I still think, you know, you tell Jalen, hey, on this play, have a signal that lets the offense know whenever you're calling in the play, do something that lets him know you're keeping the ball no matter what. Like, don't worry about the mesh. Just keep it. That way you the threat is always at least there. But anyway, you know, I, I've said that all year. But, um, yeah, you know, Milrose, he's going to make four or five really bad throws per game. Um, sometimes six, seven, eight bad throws like he did in this game against Arkansas. Then he's going to make four or five really good throws per game. The, you know, the pass to Nye Black was a good touch pass. Um, of course, just about everything he throws deep, he's connecting on in the last two or three games. So they've been really beautiful balls. One thing he can't do, just is what Landon talked about, is get too confident in the deep ball. You've got to pick your spots as a quarterback. You've got to know when to check down, when to hit the short stuff. Um, especially the way he keeps his eyes downfield, the defense is going to keep floating back and back and back. And it's just going to open up the running backs more. So you pray to God that he's been getting coached on this stuff. Um, I, I said last week that I, you finally saw him throw the ball away against Texas A&M. He did it again against Arkansas on the third down that, that led to on, on a field goal drive in the third quarter. So hopefully he's being coached on this stuff. And that's another coaching point that they'll work on this week is, you know, look, 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 check down or run. You know, instead of holding the ball back there, creating sacks for yourself. Um, which is happening more and more, it seems like. You know, pick your spots. Because right now it seems like he's kind of – it's deep ball or bust for Jalen Milrow and Alabama's offense right now. Lester, what did you think of Milrow's play on Saturday? His his play is is infuriating to a, to a degree. Um, like everything Landon was saying was 100% correct. Um, it's 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 Jekyll and Hyde. He'll 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 miss that that short intermediate route by six yards. That the route over the middle. He'll throw it high. He'll throw it low. But then again, sometimes you'll see it whip it across fifteen yard out on a dot, and it's like it's in you, bro. It's in you, but it's not it's not consistency. The 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 consistency part of it is just severely lacking with this team on the offensive side of the ball. And it shows up the most with the quarterback, with the offensive line. And this this game recently, you know, the wide receivers had several drops. Several of them. You know, they weren't they weren't perfect passes. You shouldn't expect perfect passes from Jalen Miro, but if the ball Hits you in the hands, you've got to catch the ball. Um, inaccuracy is a killer. Drop balls are a killer. Bad offensive line play is it, a killer. And the game against Arkansas, all three of those things happened consistently. It's it it it's run, is get five yards here, and next thing you know, you're going back 10 yards. It's there's no rhyme or reason there's no there's no groove for this offense to get into you know how you watch some teams you watch some elite offenses and you see them settling into a groove you see the offensive line start to lean on people you see wide receivers start to 
to catch those balls, to get that separation. You see quarterbacks get dialed in. That's we the game did that in on. the third quarter. That that you know we did that in the third quarter. This is more of a Tommy Reese in the Milrose, not his fault. But yeah, yeah the drop. Tommy Reese in the third quarter, and we just started throwing the son bitch inside the twenty because we didn't get oh, third and two. Right. I don't get it. But yeah, but with I didn't Tommy get that Reese, I'm gonna give him a lot of credit right now because now. The criticism is coming, but to start the game, there's the jet sweep. There's the motions. Then what happens? The offense line freaking screws it. They're, they ran a zone read on the goal line. They went on the center, ran the Philadelphia Eagles play. You know, there were guys running wide open. The wide receivers were running open. Um, the perimeter runs. That they, There were positive things that Tommy Reese did in this game that we need to see more of. I feel like those motions, those those jet sweeps, I feel like they were just plays from the script. Like, he didn't call those off the hip. You know what I mean? But yeah, I hate really, it. the guy has it, but we need to see more of that from this offense. Yeah. But if the guys can't execute, if Miro can't complete the pass, if the receivers drop, if the offensive line can't freaking block, it, it don't matter. But I, I do want to give credit to Tom Reese. Like he's, he's, he's showing a little flex a little bit. I'm not. I think he's uh, he did okay. Um, still a lot of things that he can do better. And one of them I'm going to point out, because like I said, every time I watch the game live, whether I'm there in the stadium or watching on TV, I usually pick up on, a, on one or two things and I go back and rewatch and see if I was right or see if I was just kind of blowing smoke. And uh, and this is one thing that I, that I saw that we'll talk about later on. But guys, let me ask y'all this. First seven games of the season, how many times has Alabama led the game off with a touchdown on their first their first offensive possession? I can't remember one off the top I, of my head. I, I meant to go middle, back and watch each Middle drive. Tennessee State, I know. Yeah. Um, but I, was that it? Has it yeah, been? that might be. It feels like they're yeah. down 7-0, 3-0 most of the game it can't, to it start can't off. Be, it can't be more than two. I mean, I, I can't really remember missing the state. And I, like I said, I meant to go back and watch, but uh, my daughter got strep throat, so I had to come home and take care of her, and I didn't really get a chance to, it, to watch it. It wasn't it wasn't Mississippi State because if you remember uh, that first drive, the, the typical Alabama goes on the twice. goes on the road, and we had literally have no idea how to play football for the first like three possessions. Yeah, well, it seems, seems that way at home now too. That's that's what's crazy. Is the frustrating thing to me um, is. Lester's talking about scripts. Dude, I, I think Tommy Reese's scripts have been absolute dog shit. I think he has the worst opening drive scripts I've ever seen. Uh, was it in 2018 that Bama scored on the first drive? And like, what, it was like the first nine or ten games, wasn't it? Yes, it was unreal. Yeah. It, it was insane. I remember against Ole Miss, we had like a third and ten. They were talking about, you know, Bama scored on the first – the opening drive was however many games. And then two, it just hit Judy on like a same route for like 60 yards. Um <laughs> but you know, you know, as an office coordinator, the first ten plays are work. It's what you work all week for, honestly. I mean, you want to get down in distance, and what do you think will work here against? You know, relative to what they're calling in certain situations, sure. But you watch countless hours of film, so you can put your team in the best chance to be successful early in the game. And for Tommy Reese, that has been just horrible. Uh, if you if you do that against a good team, and I say, I mean, Alabama's played good teams, but, you know, Tennessee, LSU, if you find yourself down 14 nothing, 
The defense has helped you out of the time. If you find yourself down 14 nothing, you're going to screw yourself. Milrow just can't drop back and throw it as far as he can versus good DBs when he's down two touchdowns because they're going to turn and look for the ball. And that's the difference between some of the defensive backs that, that Alabama's played so far, especially Texas A&M, and ones coming up. You know, Tennessee has really good ones. LSU has a couple that can make some plays in, in the secondary. So, you know, that's that's something that needs to change for Tommy Reese. That's my first point. But Landon, kind of grade Tommy Reese so far through seven games. And just like I asked with Milro, not just Arkansas, but, you know, the whole season. What, what, what do you think, Tommy Reese? you think he's getting better every week or – do you think he's just kind of being the same, or do you think he's actually taking steps back? Well, you know, grade Tommy Reese, and I'm I'm sitting here. Great, are we gonna like grade him on his play on his just the just the play calls? I guess yes. like what? Yeah, okay. Well, that's all, that's all he can control, really. I mean, right? You can, you can. It's like you know, I'm a, I'm a hitting coach for a high school, and I tell them all the time. I can be the best hitting coach in the world, but if you don't go up there, I can't go up there and hold the bat for you and make contact. Sure. Like at some point, you have to translate what you're doing. So, I mean, really the best thing he can do is put his guys in the best position to be successful with his play calls. And how do you think he's done that so far this year? That's the question. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him just a solid, a B minus probably so far on that B minus to a B because like there's there's some good like what I mean by there's some good, you know the Texas A&M game, first half you know we've talked about this heard y'all talk about it obviously first half you know we kind of it was seventeen ten you know it was kind of like you know we hit the big plate of Bond and all that stuff we, we kept trying to kind of establish the run well then second half Tommy Reese just said all right eff it we can't run the ball we know we can't we're going deep and i don't care i'm winning or I, i'm living and dying by this deep ball this game i don't care what i have to do and for that i give him an a on i give him a complete a because what he I mean your job as an offensive coordinator is to call the plays based on how the defense is for, is is going out going to defend you for the game and to be fair, all these teams like Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, all they have all done is play six to seven man boxes where five O linemen are trying to block seven men. We can't run the football, so they're leaving guys with single high safeties, man on man in coverage. Hey, if we get time, the deep ball is going to be open. For that, I think is great. I think that's I think that's good, and I'm I'm glad he's doing that. That's really good because a guy like Bill O'Brien being so NFL like from last year, oh dude, he'd have kept trying to run the ball in seven man boxes and kept trying to do all these all this weird stuff and everything like that, just call a game like a pro game. But uh, but then you know we go to another thing like against Arkansas. You know we open up the second half. Alabama for once in our life, we're actually getting five to eight yards a pop running the football all the way down the field. Then all of a sudden we get the third and two, and we got Milrow in the shotgun trying to pass the football, and we end up having to kick a field goal and whatnot. So it's almost like it's almost like one of them things. Like Tommy Reese was just like, you know, oh my god, we can run the football, and then like he didn't. It's like he didn't know what to do, didn't know how to act. Like damn, I actually have a balanced offense for once in my life. It, but like I said, then you like I said, you'll see him on TV, you'll rewatch the game on TV, and you're like, oh shit, there's an open man. There's an open man, but the quarterback don't throw him the ball. Is that the offensive coordinator's fault? Yeah, that's no. Not, no, that's not the offensive coordinator's fault. 
it's not offense coordinator's fault that our check down running back is sitting over here behind the line of scrimmage just waving his arms like, hey, Jalen, please throw me the ball so I can get you an easy seven to ten yards and help you out. And he doesn't look at it. Doesn't even. It's not that he does, he throws the ball and can't get it there. He doesn't even look at them. Does not even look their way, which is alarming to me. I mean, I know Tommy Reese is in the film room with Saban on Sundays, and he's like, hey, coach, we got a man right here, and Jalen won't look at him. And I mean, I don't know what I don't know what else to do, what else to do because it's not like we can go to the backup or you know or third string or something like that because we already saw that experiment. So, but yeah, I, I'm gonna give him a I'll give him a B minus to a B because I think he's handcuffed in one respect because he's got the O line deal we got going on with a hokey pokey we got playing at left tackle in week six or seven, which is insane to me. Um, which I know y'all touched last time talking about how Proctor may not be in physically good shape, so we think we have to rotate him in and out, which is a good point. Uh, but yeah, that's that would be my grade for him as of right now. But yet he, well, gosh, hang on, I, I want to cover the offensive line too. So let me just cover. So we're not bouncing all over the place. Let's just stay on Tommy Reese for a it, second. It's 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 tough. It's tough because yeah. they all have their hand in the cookie jar. Sure. Uh. Lester, what has been Tommy Reese's best call at half of the season so far? Power five. His, his best what? <laughs> his best call at half. Like, if you can pick a half and be like, that's the best playing call we've had all season, which one would you pick? Uh, dude, I don't know. I, would it be, t- would it be been... second half of Texas A&M? Yeah, they had to put that, they had to put that game away. Yeah, um, and we know we, well, we didn't perform well at the end, but I think it's hard to argue that that's his best call at half because of the fact that he said, I've got negative 13 rushing yards. What's the point? It's going to be second 11 or second 10. So, you know, let's just air it out. So, do you think Reese is he might be at his best when he's one dimensional? <laughs> A good team will stop that, though. That's the sure. point. I but, mean, he I may mean, be – I mean, anybody can be good if you just say go five wide or four wide and, and make a play because clearly the wide receivers are running open. I mean, the guys are talented. Let's not let's not, let's not not get that, you know, lost here. Those receivers, those skill players, they are talented. And there's so many of them. Kobe Prentice, where you been, my guy? So glad to see you. You know, that's nothing. Just well, he, he's an underneath guy. <laughs> like, yeah, but he, he's usually what he, guy. if you watch his route combinations, usually, you know, like we talked about last week with with Burton, he had been so deep route heavy that a right. was bailing every time he came off the line of scrimmage, and then he just went sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, and then boom, late in the game, he goes to sit down and go, and he's wide ass open. That's you know, that's Tommy Reese is doing Tommy Reese stuff right there. That's that's why he was he was so good, and um. But, yeah, Prentice, the reason you haven't seen him is because he's the drag guy. He's the guy they use on the crossers. Yeah, you know, Miro will overthrow him by <laughs> five yards. But on a, I, I'll, I'll give Reese probably a C, C-plus grade. Um, I just, I just want to see the offense dictate the terms of the football game for once. Come out, show a little fight, have a little grit to them, and – Based on the comments we see uh, players make after the game, Tyler Booker on the next round, um, Miro talking about his Lord and Savior and all that stuff, like, buddy, that don't matter 
60 minutes every Saturday, man. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're in the Bible Belt. I love Jesus, too. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But, buddy, he ain't help you on that field. He's going to help you make a throw. He said that don't matter. It don't matter. We're going to have Dabo Sweeney coming after Milrow in the offseason now. Look, if he transferred – if look, if Jalen Milrow's at Clemson right now, he'll probably win the Heisman Trophy. But, buddy – I don't know, yeah, man. You see what uh, DJ Ungle is doing at Oregon State? That dude's a he's, dog. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, at, at the end of the day, there's only so much that Tommy Reese can do, but his guys have got to, you know. I, and you know what? In the fourth quarter of that game yesterday, when things were swinging back heavily Arkansas's way, it was very disheartening to see that their offense had no bite to it at all. No grit, no let's move the ball, no let's let's hit somebody in the mouth, let's get a score, let's even get a, a field goal. I mean, you know, it, it, it was the, where's the fight back on this team? You know, you, the defense gives up the what the Jalen Key play, then the um, you know, the defense basically gives ourselves the points to get the right. yards to get down the road to score. Mm-hmm. Okay, the one time your defense lets you down. The one time, where's your fight back? Back up, yeah. Where's your what? Where's your? It's our turn, guys. Well, you Tyler know, Luka wants to run his damn mouth. Why don't he stand up there, guys? It's our turn to hit somebody in the mouth and get our boys back. And you know, Landon, we don't have that. We've mentioned, you know, you've got five or six guys going against six or seven in the box. It makes it very difficult. But this is kind of my deal with Tommy Reese and. This is one of the this is what I went back and rewatched and made sure that I was that I was right on when I was watching it live is is the predictability. Um not I re- went back and, and wrote some stuff down, not including the kneel downs at the end. Um you had 27 first down plays, right? Lester, I texted y'all this landing, you haven't heard it yet. But yeah, 27 first down plays. This includes like after kickoffs, after punts, stuff like that. So 20 out of the 27 um, were run plays. 20 out of 27 first down plays were runs. Only one of those happened inside the five-yard line, which, you know, you're supposed to run the ball. Out of the seven pass plays, two of them were on the two-minute drill before halftime. So those are kind of obvious passing downs, too. Milrow was four out of seven on first down, so he had three incompletions. After the three, after the three incompletions on second and ten, he ran the ball all three times, I think for a total of like seven yards. So there's a reason Alabama is dead last in the SEC in yards to go on third down. Tommy Reese is being way too predictable. They ran on 74% of first downs and 100% on second and 10 after an incompletion. That's the area where Tommy has to get better. There's so much you can do on first down. The goal is what, four yards. That's what Saban always talks about. Um that little quarterback run play where it's not a read, you got the little Y slider coming across the formation as a lead blocker. I think that's a great play that we might have run five, six times this year. We ran it once against uh, Arkansas, and it was called back for a penalty. Why is that play not being run eight to ten times a game? Once again, just to keep the defense on its toes. Uh, you know, you got a quick hitch. You got a bubble route, um, especially to the slot, since a lot of the time they're using that slot – that slot defender is is another guy to kind of help with the run. Um, a slot screen, quarterback power, slant routes, out routes, RPO, whatever. And you might be saying, well, your quarterback can't throw it. Well, at least try. 
prove that he can't throw the ball. And and if and I just think there's so much more that he could be doing, especially on first down to create second mid, second shorts. But he just continues to run the ball at the middle, and that shit has got to stop. Uh, no, you, there's zero creativity. No, zero it, creativity. Especially on first down. Yeah, out of the twenty carries, he had 129 yards, which is six point six and a half yards a carry, roughly. And you say that's pretty good, right? Well, those numbers kind of deceive you in this Arkansas game. Three of those runs were on the back-to-back plays in that one drive in the third quarter. They went for like 70 of those yards. So outside of that, Bama runs on first down were 17 for 69, 70 yards, which is a little under three and a half yards to carry, right at three and a half yards to carry. Um, the goal was four, so you're under average there. You know, it's out of the 20 runs, basically 50% of them were also under three yards. So it's kind of a lot of stats and numbers I just threw at you right there. Might have to listen to it twice, rewind and listen to it again. But basically, Tommy Reese is way too predictable in first down. He's running the ball way too much on first down. He's got to do stuff to help to help the offense side as a whole. Um, uh, just in this game, Landon, like just break down the Arkansas game. What did you see, especially in the second quarter? Um, because I thought that's when he was at his best. What did you see some things in the second quarter that he did? Maybe some some outside runs with uh, Justice Haynes, Jam Miller. Did you like those type, type calls in the run game? You know, isn't it, isn't it truly amazing when we run the the halfback zone to the out to the outside with either Jamarian Miller or Justice Haynes? We get like a minimum of I'm going to say at least five to seven yards. Like isn't isn't that crazy how that happens compared to the fa- the famous halfback draw up, up the middle behind Seth McLaughlin's ass? Like isn't that it, like that's that's amazing to me how that happens? But like we really just continue to do it. We just keep doing the same thing. Like you were just saying, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle. Which hey, run up the middle is a part of football. Like, like hey, you got to go up the middle. But the the thing is. You got to get that defense going left to right. Like you got to keep them guessing. You got to keep them honest. If you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, all they're going to do is just pinch the ins- inside and stunt the hell out of you, and you're and you're just going to get stuffed every time. Like you got to keep them on their toes. And so, but the second quarter, you know, obviously that's when Milrose started hitting the deep ball. Would we? Is that this quarter that I think we scored what twenty? Was that where he scored twenty one or four? 14, I think, in the second quarter. That yeah, seven may have came toward, yeah, kind toward of the, the end, end of the end first. End of the first and into about, you know, maybe five minutes left to go in the second. And look, and look, the touchdowns that we scored, dude, our receivers were freaking wide open. I mean, they were. They, they were ske- uh, the famous term that I, that I always destroy Bill O'Brien is the term, you know, scheming, you're scheming your player open. And we did. I mean, when Kobe Prentice taught, caught that ball, I mean, good Lord. I mean, absolutely just no, no one inside of him. Amari Noblack. I mean, really good throw by Milrow right there to Amari Noblack. And, you know, uh, Jermaine Burton had the long catch, uh, long catch that set up, I think, Milrow's one little the tush push uh, touchdown, which, hey, look. I know it was a one-yard little quarterback sneak up the middle, but you know what? That was still creative to, to like, use what the Philadelphia Eagles do considering our quarterback is 6'2", 220, 225 pounds, and is probably just as strong, if not very close to Jalen Hurts. I mean, hell, use it. It's to your advantage. Use it. Be creative. Job at office coordinator, be creative. Don't just do simple things that the defense can just – 
that they just it makes it easy to prepare for. Be smart. Do things that are creative. Have counters. Have different have different running plays. Don't just run halfback zone up the up the gut. That's easy to defend. Anybody can defend that, especially against our offensive line. It's not hard, well, but you get them going different. Yeah. yeah, you get them going different ways. Now that like, man, where's the pistol formation? Where's the pistol formation with Alabama? We used to do the pistol formation used to be so good. We've like, had more would, running success out of the pistol than any other formation this year. I know, and we don't use it. We continue to go out of the shotgun with one to two tight ends. I mean, you can still go pistol and go two tight ends and run the football. I watched us do it with Jacob Coker and Derrick Henry. Now, do we have a Derrick Henry running back? No, the hell we don't. But you know what? If we're going to play murder ball, as all these Alabama fans have said, and Dallas Turner and all that stuff, you know what murder ball is? Murder ball is using more than just two running backs. Jamarian Miller and Justice Haynes deserve carries, just like Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams, unless Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams want to prove to me that they're like these all-world elite backs because what I've seen so far, they're not. Use four backs that are really good, man. Use them. They're to your it's to your advantage to use to use them to constantly get fresh legs. Otherwise, we're gonna have to watch Jalen Milrow just take unnecessary sacks or somehow get, you know, random pressures for, on him. And I think I think you could grab Jalen Milrow's shoestring and he would fall down. I've never I've never seen a player that I that appears to be so elusive and fast. But yet, it's so easy to bring down. Yeah, it's definitely it's, no KJ. It, he's no KJ Jefferson. Yeah, it's no KJ Jefferson because I mean that play he made. I mean, gosh, man. I mean that's that was so impressive what he did, but also so demoralizing for us because I mean, yeah. hell, we did everything right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we did, we did all we could do on him. But you know, hey, it, you know it is what it is. Lester um, Proctor played the whole second half. He plays the first two drives. Gets benched. Pritchett comes in earlier than usual. Plays the rest of the half. Um, didn't play great. Neither one of them played great in the first half. Proctor comes back and plays the whole second half. Um, are we getting the same old thing at left tackle? What do you think is going on there? Do you think that this week against Tennessee that they're going to try to go Proctor the whole game because Pritchett's basically proven that he's not going to step up and take the job? Because uh, I think – They've given him maybe not early in the season, but I think certainly in the last two or three games, they've given him plenty of opportunities to go in there in game situations. And because look, here's the thing: when you're a coach, you don't play multiple guys at a position if you don't think that that second guy has a chance to overtake the first one. You you, you see what I'm saying? So right. the reason Pritchett's playing, I know it's because Proctor's very young and he has been. Very bad. But also, they think Pritchett can has the potential to overtake that. They're giving him opportunities to take on that role full-time, and he has not been good enough to do that. So what do you think we're going to get out of the left tackle position moving forward? I think as long as the opposing team has someone who is somewhat of a competent to dominant pass rusher, I think it's going to be a revolving door. Because, hell, we couldn't block 40 from Arkansas all game long. That guy, I don't know how many sacks he had, probably four or five. But three and he, a half. Three and a half. He was mm -hmm. giving them hell all game long. And I, I, I don't see 
any of those guys solidifying themselves in that position. It's literally it's literally Russian roulette. There's nothing you can do. You can't you can't make somebody grow up, be a dog, and earn the job or keep the other guy on the sideline. You know what I mean? Proctor, for all we know, he could be a all SEC tackle, but he may be a mental midget. You know what I mean? He may not have that killer instinct in him to see that, hey, there's this guy right behind me who they are comfortable putting in the game and benching my ass for. And and what's he do about it? It's been going on for how many games now? And where's the improvement been from his side? None. Pritchett is probably playing his balls off, probably doing everything he can to get that job. You know what I mean? But I'm sure they want Proctor to be that guy because Proctor's talent is probably through the roof. Sure. But he's not doing anything to, 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 to earn that, to take the job. And I think that's what Saban and them want. They want to see that, look, dude, we're not afraid to pull you, but at the same time, we know what you can do. And also his ass is just fat. Like, he can't move. <laughs> yeah. So. I, and I, I think that's public enemy number one for him. Yes. And, and that's something that he can control. I think some, that's something that he will he will need in offseason to to help out with. You know, you can't – you're not just going to drop – 10 pounds in a week uh, during the season. You know, you have to maintain as much as you can. Um, but I think the offseason, you'll see a significant drop. Just, I think you'll see 20-plus with him easily. But, yeah, I, I think – I don't – of course, I, I don't think they care whether it's Proctor or Pritchett to take the starting job. But I think both of them have been so bad. You know, they just kind of have to keep rotating them because they're like, damn, you know, guy gives up two sacks. You, you know, you go to Pritchett, and then Pritchett gives up two sacks. Well, damn, let's just go back to Proctor. I don't know. Um, Landon, oh, we just swap. We just swap seats on the Titanic, no matter what we yeah. really decide. There, I mean, yep. it's, it'd be. I mean, look. I mean, I'm looking at the pro football grades from this weekend. I mean, Caden Proctor, he graded a 33.3 in pass blocking. That's that like, was even worse like than the Texas. To do. That's worse than the Texas game at 36.7. I mean, it was that bad, and it makes it bad. Tennessee's got an edge rusher, James Pierce, who might be the might be the best edge rusher in the SEC, other than Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. That he's got to see this Saturday. Are they third, well, and, third and sacks or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think yeah. Tennessee's Tennessee is a team. I think this year is. Let's see, they are as a team this year. Tennessee is third in the country in sacks. Alabama's fourth in the country in sacks. Yikes. And Alabama has given up. Oh God, it's bad. It's, it's really bad. You know, and that's what—that's the crazy part to me because I'm not an offensive line guy. Obviously, I don't know the techniques and everything like that. I just know when I watch the watch film on t- on TV and everything like that. I just know we're getting our ass whipped. I, that's what I do know, and I don't know. I don't know what. Like, obviously, the easy thing to say is, "Well, our man just can't block the man in front of him." I get that, but like technically speaking, what exactly is the problem with Caden Proctor that he's not like? What is it? Is his hand? His hands aren't great. Is it his footwork? Is it all the above? I mean, what is it? It's it's all the above, but it's it's his hands. He's gotten he's gotten beat inside maybe once or twice. The problem with him has been the speed guys coming off the outside, and you know the shoulder dip. Running your running your hoop, getting up under the the tackle's hands, um, knocking hands off, and then ducking the shoulder. You know, it's 
that's what he's getting beat on. It's almost the same thing over and over again. Now he's he's not maybe once or twice he's missing assignment, but I don't think that's been the issue. Uh, the issue has been physically not being able to stay in front of a faster guy. And you watch, um, I know Arkansas did it. I kept pointing it out during the game that they would put their faster edge rusher on that side, and Tennessee will do the same thing. The guy Landon was talking about. Um, so that's the issue is he's literally too big to move right now. But the problem mm-hmm. is you put Pritchett in there who's 40 pounds smaller and he's having the same thing done to him. So mm-hmm. it, it's not like either one of them are great right now. Um, Landon, what if you did look I, like, what did you say? Lester Alabama was like third from the bottom and sacks given up this year or something like that. Landon, what's wrong with this? You put, you move Latham to left tackle, Pritchard or Proctor mm-hmm. at right tackle. You just swap, flop your tackles. Mm-hmm. Tell my quarterback if he sees the slightest pressure from the right side, you run to the middle or run to the left. How? Mm-hmm. Look, he, here's my thing. Everybody's like, you can't just move around offensive them in midseason. Why not? Are Are you going to get worse? Like, are we? Is Alabama running for 300 yards a game? Am I Am I missing something here? Are you know are they, are they giving the quarterback enough time that they they've given up more sacks than almost anybody in the country? So why would it hurt? Yeah. Does that be something you would you would, uh, I, you would absolutely absolutely? I mean, it, it's one of the things. Like, what I mean, can it get any worse? I mean, hell, we've given up thirty-one sacks this year. We're one hundred twenty-six in the country out of one hundred thirty teams in sacks allowed. I mean, we're down here with South Florida, Old Dominion, and Colorado. I mean, and we got five-star guys all over the place. I mean, yeah, it, what, what's crazy to me is I've always been under the impression that especially when you have a right-handed quarterback, because obviously two was left-handed, so you have a right-handed quarterback in Jalen Milrow, you want your left tackle to be your best guy. That's what you want. You want you him see, to be your yeah. bread and butter, and your best friend. And I think that's what Alabama fans expected in the spring, but for some reason Latham never made that switch. No, and, and, you know, I listened to Coach Saban's press conference today, and he said that, you know, J.C. Latham's a prototypical right tackle. You know, we want to develop cohesion, and I'm, I'm raising my hand, and I'm like, Coach, we have no damn cohesion. Look at the, I mean, look at the games. We all watch the same games. We have no cohesion on the offensive line, and if we do, I need someone to tell me what cohesion you see that I don't. There's no cohesion. The only cohesion we have is I-75. We're going to let every – everybody through that's the only cohesion that i see is we're gonna let them all through and whatever's whatever now credit to seth mclaughlin i've been on him for a little bit uh it seems the past two games and i've understood by somebody they said he changed his grip on his on snapping the ball yeah he plays pollen the nose of it now yeah it see, seems to me i have seen a a tad bit of a, a of a drop in the amount of high and low snaps he kept giving Milrow, which, you know, hey, I'm focusing on a little positive here. Credit to him for doing something a little different. And he you know, hey, he, yeah, he, he only missed snapped it one time this game. Yeah, so I mean, credit he did something. He tried something new, Jesus. and you know, it paid off. So, hey, coach, Coach Wolford, Coach Saban, can you think maybe we could try something new on the O-line and maybe it could work for us? Because, I mean, it can't get worse than being down here with Illinois, Florida International, Wake Forest, South Florida, Old Dominion, and Colorado in sacks. 
and we have more talent than all of them combined in the last 50 years of football. I mean, it would be, I mean, it would be a bad change to me. Really amazing. It's something that, yeah, I, I, at this point, you're not, you're not going to get any worse than what you're doing. And if you are, hey, just flip back, you know, say, hey, we tried it. You know, show everybody. And it's not their job to show fans that they're working on stuff. They're, they're, it's not their job to please us. It's their job to win games. But I think what's so frustrating is as a fan, you watch the same thing week in and week out, and it's the same thing. It's the same four guys. Like almost every – it's like clockwork. It's Milrow. It's the left tackle, who whether it's Pritchett or Proctor. It's the center. It's Tommy Reese. It's the same four guys. I think everybody else has been fantastic. I think Robbie Oops has been hot and cold. You know, sometimes he'll make a good block. He'll get a pad on somebody. Sometimes he just completely whiffs. And he and then there's sometimes <laughs> he has no idea. He's watching people run right by him. So he's kind of all over the place. But other than that, I think our receivers have been good. Running backs have been fine, you know, for what they've had blocking for them. Uh, it's sure. just – it's like the same four guys every single week. So, as fans, the only thing we ask for is show us that you're trying to improve during the week. Show us that you're actually showing up three or four days to practice. Because you watch the second half of that team on Saturday and really the first half outside of a couple of, you know, deep balls that Milrow threw – it looked like the team didn't even practice during the week. It looked like they just literally took the week off. After A&M, and I know Saban bitched on Wednesday about uh, about how bad the team had practiced this week and how, you know, they're not entitled, they're, you're entitled to nothing, all, all that stuff that he said. But, man, like, are, are you even coaching these guys? Are you trying to get them better? Are you trying to develop them in, in season? Or are you just trying to survive every Saturday and get out of there? With a three to six point win, um, yeah, and I know, and I know people don't want to hear hear this part of this, but this is just the cold hard fact. You know, since twenty twenty one, Alabama's really had a problem with offensive line. Now, twenty twenty one, we had Doug Marone. You know, he leaves. Uh, we kind of had to have Joe Pendry come in, kind of uh, towards the end of the year, supposedly, and kind of help our offensive line work, which obviously it seemed to help when we played like Georgia and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, we hire Eric Wolford, who I've, I've been high on. I've been high on Eric Wolford. I, I really have been. He's been one of the coaches. I've been kind of like back in here, but Lord, every time I keep seeing this O-line do things, it's like, oh my God, you know, like I'm just, you know, it, it gets harder and harder, just, obviously, each you know, each week. But I think, it's, I think it kind of comes down to the same thing I said earlier. I mean, uh, we, we talk about drops. Everybody's talking about drops in the preseason and, you know, J-Law is hard on uh, Holman Wiggins as well. I said, Holman Wiggins can't go out there and catch the ball for him. And sure. Wolford, I, I don't know what technique he teaches. Uh, Cole Kublik said there was a problem with their hands. Their hands were low. That is something you can coach. So that's something that I'll be watching out for now that he said that, brought that to my attention. Because, you know, Cube is always focused on the offensive line. I can pick up small stuff, but he's watching every single detail of those guys because that's what he believes in. And uh, so I'll be watching that closer. But – Wolford can't go out there and keep the guy from running right around Caden Proctor. That's on him. The, that, that's it, want to. That's effort. Yeah, know? and that's the point. That's the point I was getting at here is like you know a lot. There's a lot. There's a certain group of fans who have been, who have you know a lot of the sacks. You know they put on Jalen Milrow, and and to be fair to those people, I do believe Jalen Milrow a lot of times bails on 
a clean pocket now he's and run, and, and run and run into sacks that he right. shouldn't have done. But also to his credit, I'm sure he probably doesn't really know how to act to have a clean pocket because it rarely happens. So he, but, but you know, the point I was making about the quarterback is we just had a number one overall pick at quarterback and a guy who was a genius at changing protections, doing all that stuff, you know, snapping the ball with five seconds or less because he was changing so many protections and everything like that. And hell, we still had offensive line problems. So it's all, it's not, it's not just like you can't, there's a certain group of people that just throw it on the quarterback. Say, oh, it's the quarterback. That's why the O-line is doing it like it is. He's doing this and that. No, it's not on the quarterback either. Cause then if that's the case, then you're going to turn around and blame Bryce Young for the past two years. I don't think you're going to do that because the one of the main reasons he was drafted number one overall was because how great he was pre-snap and how, how great he was at adjusting protections that you have to do in the NFL. So there's definitely more to the offensive line as opposed to just like, oh, the quarterback just runs into some sacks. So he gets, he takes unnecessary ones, which to be fair, like I said, Jalen Milrow has done that. And I have cussed and fussed and continue and continue. And he will do it this Saturday against Tennessee. He will absolutely roll to his right or left and where he should just either just go ahead and take off running or throw the damn ball away. He will take a sack, and the offensive line will get blamed for it. And I will be cussing just like the rest of you. <laughs> no doubt. Well, through all of the uh, through all of the smoggy smoke, Alabama's six and one as they welcome in Rocky Top. Les, would you see what I did there? Little Rocky Top. Yeah, smooth transition. You didn't start off with it this year. You got those cigars from last year. You still got them? I don't. I don't. Did you throw yours away? That that's one question that I'm I've been asking everybody because I kept mine. I'm like, you know, I, I told myself last year, I said, I'll be seeing you next year. Three hundred around three hundred and sixty five days, I'll be seeing you. And sure enough, I pulled them out of my drawer the other day. Landon, what about you? Do you got the same the same cigars from last year? Do you do you toss those? You think they're bad luck? You gonna get you some fresh ones? Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to get me some fresh ones this week. Okay. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, Lester, Tennessee, man, uh, coming in at what, five and one? Uh, big win at home versus Texas AM. Beat them 20 to 13. Had a, uh, I guess you can say a cheap punt return in that game. AM punted from their own one yard line. I think Tennessee had like a 39 yard punt return for a touchdown. Guy caught it inside the, of, of uh, the other team's 40. So crazy. But uh, yeah, they beat Texas A&M twenty to thirteen. Joe Milton having big time accuracy issues, particularly down the field. You know, we think it's like the opposite of Jalen Milrow. See, Joe Milton having is having to complete all of his passes around the line of scrimmage, and Jalen Milrow is having to complete all of his passes 30, 40 yards downfield. So about complete opposites, uh, passing wise for Tennessee and Alabama right now in their offenses. Um. Tennessee, that tempo, you know, we know how they like to run. Lester, what fires you up about this game coming in? Um, Alabama's favorite. It, started, it came out at 10. I've got it down to 8.5. Um, some places it's 8, some places it's 9. So we're going to settle on 8.5. Uh, Tennessee coming in. Alabama 8.5 point favorite. Lester, break this game down for me and tell me if you think Alabama covers. I I I I have trouble seeing Alabama cover this game. I really do. Um despite the defense. Um 
Last week, I thought Alabama would cover because I thought the defense would get a non-offensive touchdown or put the offense in a you know, short field, great field position to score. Um, I don't think they cover. I'm having a hard time having faith in this team to, to cover, you know, anything more or less, you know, nine, ten points. So I don't think they cover, but I think that this team, we're going to find out a lot about them because – those guys up in Knoxville threw a damn party on Alabama's ass last year in the game that, quite frankly, Tennessee probably didn't have won, had been from a red phantom call here and there. But I just hope those guys remember they picked up the damn goalpost and threw it in the river on your ass because the street was about to get, what, the driver's license? It was, what, 15 going on 16? 15. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know. I hope those guys are fired up, man. We're going to learn a lot about this team this week. I know we say that every week just about for most big games, but this is truly personal right here, you know? What do you think we're going to learn? Like, what do you uh, – What do you get more specific with that? What, we're going we're to we're learn if it's some dogs or not, um, especially on offense. I know the defense has got okay, a couple I thought you were talking about defense. I think the defense has them. Like, I think they've the proven got Oh, yeah. This is this is by far not even close to the best offense we faced. I know we gave up 34 to Texas, but, you know, you had 10 points given up off turnovers with Jalen Miro didn't help you out. So, right. really, in reality, you kept Sarkeesian and all those weapons uh, under the 30 mark. So, I, I you know, I, I thought you were talking about defense. I was like, I, I think we no, pretty no, much know. No, defense, defense is solid, man. I, I, I really want to see the offense come out. And for once, get the defense elite, man. For just one time, and let's build on there. Let's do it this week. But I know that defense is going to put pressure on Joe Milton. He's already not that great. I think he's probably going to toss it up for grabs two or three times. And I want to see the defense take one or two of them, you know. Um, but, yeah, my eyes are going to be squarely on the offense and how they come out and perform at home mm-hmm. against the guys, the hated rivals, the Tennessee balls, man. It. I don't know. It's, it's, it's something about it. and I hope, I hope Reese, you know, being from where he's from, I hope somebody's drilling that in his ass this week. You don't give but a shit. We'll see. We'll see. You don't give a shit. You don't. Um, I don't man, think. You know what? Most of the players don't either. Because no, they they're don't. not from here. They don't. They don't know. They don't care. No, they don't. It's not. It's not personal with these guys anymore. But uh, and that's you know that like like you said, then throwing the goalposts in the river last year. Maybe that does it. You know, they don't understand the rivalry, but just that happening to them, maybe that's enough to fire them up and uh, to focus a little bit extra this week. You're playing a ranked team at home for the first time since the Texas game. Lester, do you think we see anything differently from Tommy Reese, play calling-wise, to create a little bit more space, maybe? Get a little bit more creative on on early down situations, all the things that I talked about earlier. Do you think think we we see a change there since, you know, you're playing – you're the best opponent you played since Texas, or do you think you just get the same old crap? I think well, you know how Saban is in big games. I think we'll probably get more or less the same old crap. And at that, home, that, though, he at home though, he's, he's been traditionally better. Better, but with a new OC, we'll see. I would love to see more motions, more jet sweeps, um, you know, more of those outside runs with um, you know, jam and uh the other guy, I can't remember right now. But, yeah, I would love to see just incorporate more of what he did against Arkansas to Tennessee. Just do that. If we can do that and hopefully Milrow will get a little bit better, yeah. um, 
Maybe you won't be sleepy at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and the arm wakes up and gets a little bit more accurate, but we'll see. Wow. My my thing is, offensively, I do have faith in Tommy Reese. There's one, one area where I do have faith. I have faith is if this Tennessee defensive line is giving us fits like Texas A&M's did, um, I have faith in Tommy Reese to create a passing game and go the one-dimensional route if he has to to get guys open in space. And so I'm not saying the offense is going to come out and score 40 points. I don't think they're going to get close to it. But I think the keys here are both on the defensive side for Alabama. And really, it's just about the Tennessee offense. Um, they're going to get first downs, of course. When when Tennessee gets first down, you've got to stop the quick run or the quick hitch when they go tempo. I think that's the key to their whole – to your whole defensive possession. Um if you, if you come up there and you let them go fast on first down and they throw a quick hitch and they get seven yards, well, bam, they're second and three. That's exactly where they want to be. If you come up and they do a quick run and they they hit a hole for eight, nine yards and they're second and two, second and one, then you've, you know, you basically have to play for the next first down. Um, that's when they can take their shots or whatever they want to do. They can do whatever they want in those second and short situations. I think if you turn those into second and ten, second and nine, second and eights, that's when you really start having momentum as a defense in this game. Um, it takes away what they're capable of doing since Milton has been so inaccurate downfield. Um, if you give them second four, second five, then they have options for what they can do in the run and the pass game um, in those second and mid situations. And, and then obviously, you know, the second one is DBs looking for the ball. I think they've done a better job this year, have been targeted with some pass interference calls. So, that's another thing that's huge in an offense like Tennessee because even though Milton has been inaccurate downfield, they're still going to throw it because that's that's what the playbook is. They're going to have shot calls. They're going to have their you know their their situations where they love to take shots. Can the DBs get their head around and look for the ball? Once you know you know once the defender or once the receiver passes the fifteen yard mark, you know where he's going. Can you turn around and turn into a receiver yourself? Because with Milton being very inaccurate, there's a potential even though he's got a big arm. Um, a lot of underthrown balls. And I thought that the refs had said they were going to cut down on the pass interference calls if it was a, a an underthrown pass because you're kind of rewarding the quarterback for a bad throw because the receiver can't come back to it because, hello, the DB's right there. But, you know, just every time I turn on the TV, it seems like I'm seeing a, a bad ball PI call. That's what I call them. And uh, if Alabama can avoid that, and just be solid, man. Just be solid. A man coverage is very difficult. You've got guys with 10, 15 yards of grass on either side of them that you're having to cover one-on-one. Very difficult to run zone. Um, very difficult to press. So they don't have the the weapons I think they did last year, but they have a really good ground game. So if Alabama can stop the ground game, I like him to cover the eight and a half. I'm going to say – I'm going to say, say 30 to 20, Bama. I think – Joe Milton, I really just don't see him as a threat. And, of course, you know, this is Alabama. It's third Saturday in October. It's Tennessee. Joe Milton could come in and complete every deep ball. Yeah, he's been complete dog shit throwing the ball downfield this year. He might come into Bryant Denny and complete every one. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Bama fans, we've seen it before, have we not? Um, so it wouldn't surprise me a bit. But as of now on paper and what, based off what I've seen from him, I don't see him coming into Bryant Denny and being able to, to rack up, you know, 250, 300 yards through the air. And I think Bama's run defense is solid enough in the first and second levels to to keep Tennessee from running for that 200 mark like they did last year. Uh, Landon, eight and a half. 
Um, you think Bama covers this game? Tell me why or why not. Yeah, I, I do think I do think we cut we cover. Uh, I, I think I think a lot of times in football, like obviously, look, we're we're all prisoners in the moment. I mean, we're all obviously we're all not happy about the result of Arkansas. Granted, you know, the first half, hey man, it's twenty one six ball game. Arkansas, I think, had ninety eight total yards at half. Uh, still held them to like two forty or something, two thirty five, something like that. So he's still a good day defensively. Uh, uh but. You know the offense obviously stalled and everything. So, so Tennessee though, like I was saying earlier, I know people focused so much last year on Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt, and obviously not ideal to allow five touchdowns by one man. But the thing that makes the Tennessee offense go, and this was true last year, and it is true this year, is them being able to run the football. That is what makes that offense go. They spread you really wide, just like. Kiffin does and all that stuff from the Bryles tree that spread you really right to the numbers and they run they run up the gut so you obviously our defensive line has got to win their one-on-one matchup something they did not do last year and I think Alabama's rush defense is very good this year I mean even Texas throwing up 34 points on us we still held Texas to 100 yards rushing and their running back CJ Baxter since that Alabama game has absolutely been on a tear in in uh, college football running the ball uh, we have a very good rush defense. And I think I don't think Tennessee is going to run the football on us. Now, granted, I don't really know how Tennessee somehow did not run the ball well on like teams like Florida. But then they somehow go and play Texas A&M and they get all those rushing yards against that front. Not granted, so, I think – Yeah, so. yeah. You're, you know, you're right. We're talking, so. we're talking earlier about how – Auburn feeds off the home crowd advantage more than any other team in the country. I think Tennessee's a close second, man. <laughs> it yeah. seems like when they get out of uh, the comforts of Nayland Stadium, they just go into a shell, which is what they did in the swamp. Yeah, I mean this, and this will be their like I think their second true road game this year that they'll they'll play because obviously they had the first game in a neutral site in in damn Nashville. So I mean hell, uh, but other than that, I mean yeah, this will be the second hostile environment that they've gone into this year. And I mean, obviously, they didn't fare well in the swamp at all. I mean, they didn't. I mean, they the Florida held them to a hundred yards rushing, and that's the same defense that just allowed Kentucky, I think, to run for two hundred and fifty, three hundred plus yards rushing on them. So, I, and I think I like to think Alabama's got a better rush defense than Florida. I, I mean, I would like to think that. I think we all can agree with that. Uh, so I, I do think we're going to do that, and I think they have a ceiling. So I, I'm going to say twenty-seven seventeen. Uh, I'm not going to bet on Alabama to hit the 30 mark. I don't think we've done that to a Power 5 opponent uh, yet other than Mississippi State, uh, who's a trash can. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm just very curious with, with Milrow in this because something so polarizing about Jalen Milrow, this is wild. So yards per, yards per pass attempt. Jaden Daniels leads the country in yards per pass attempt at 11.03. Michael Penix is second. J.J. McCarthy at Michigan is third. Obviously, really good top three quarterbacks here. Jalen Milrow is fourth in the country in yards per attempt ahead of guys like Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart, Dylan Gabriel, Tyler Van Dyke, Quinn Ewers, Carson Beck, Sam Hartman, Drake May, Spencer Rattler, Bo Nix, all these guys, he's that far ahead of them in yards per attempt this year. And it's 
And I hope that still holds against Tennessee. I really do, because obviously we're we're going to we're going to need it, and the O line is going to have to block really well, especially dealing with James Pierce coming off the edge for them, who's a really damn good edge rusher. Uh, but I'm going to say 27-17. I trust Kevin Steele uh, going up against this tempo and how they like to do things. I don't trust Joe Milton. I. I, obviously, we look. We all critique Jalen Milrow, and he is what he is, and everything like that. But hot damn, I take him over Joe Milton. Joe Milton's what twenty five years old, and he still really? he still yeah. isn't worth it. Worth I'm the going damn. Milrow all day. No, I mean, I, I, all day. Not not even a debate. Not even a debate. And like you said, granted, I may watch Joe Milton on Saturday toss bomb after bomb and just hit every damn deep ball like it's the prettiest thing in the world. Because hell, we've seen it. I mean, we we know how the deal goes. Everybody plays a game of their life against Alabama, and then they go in the shell for the rest of the year because, hey, they beat Alabama. Since they beat Alabama, coaches get raises. Every, everybody's you're the greatest thing in the world. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to say 27-17, and I'm going to I'm going to say we cover. You know, had a bad performance against Arkansas. I think I think that was a, maybe a good thing. I think we respond, and I think we come out and we play well. I I, I do want to say one thing. I want to see the home crowd get into this game. I'm so sick of having to watch Alabama go in hostile environments like Mississippi State and all these teams. We go play on the road, Texas A&M, and you see pre-snap penalty after pre-snap penalty, illegal shifts. Doing, we're doing all this stuff. Coach Saban's throwing the headset. He's upset. I want to see an opposing team come into Bryant-Denny Stadium. And I want to see their coach throw a headset and get pissed off because our crowd is making their team have a false start. I want to see that. I'm so sick. I, all these people talk about, and I, I, I'm a realist. I'm gonna keep it like I'm gonna keep it real. I'm so sick of people trying to tell me Bryant Denny's this hostile environment and that we get loud and all that stuff. Bullshit. No, we don't. How many pre-snap penalties did Texas have against us in this great environment? Hell, we had more at home than we do. We had more at home. Our opponents. We're the home team. I haven't seen Alabama the crowd get in a game and literally make the opposing offense hell. They can't hear the call. They're, they they got problems getting the signals in, all that stuff. I haven't seen that, and I want to see that. I want to I want to see that. I want to see it this year. Again, we play Tennessee, LSU. We you know we need the crowd. I, I'm I'm literally I'm sick of watching us go to opposing places. And hot damn, we look like we can't even get this call right. Everybody's false starting all that stuff, snap infractions. I want to see an opposing team do that in Bryant Denny. That's what I want to see. Yeah, hey, just, hate, just, hate them or love them. Hate them or love them. Brandon Walker said that Alabama games are like a what do you call them? A corporate event. He's not wrong. No, yeah, I mean, I mean, just nobody's yeah. hungry, dude. I mean, the fans aren't hungry. It is you, you win. Correct. Six national championships in however many years. I don't care who you are. I mean, like A and like Auburn has a really loud environment, but if they won six natties in fifteen years, whatever it is, they wouldn't be as loud. It, it is what it is. They're loud now because they're hungry. Because any chance of success they're going to have is going to be because of the crowd. And Alabama's not like that. You know, if, if Auburn's going to win a game against a big time opponent, it's going to have to be at home. They're not going to go win on the road. And the crowd's going to have to play a huge factor, and they know that. And that's not how – that Brian Denny doesn't have that rap. I mean, Death Valley has it. You know, everybody talks about Death Valley, Baton Rouge on a Saturday night, you know, Penn State in the whiteout, the big house, blah, blah, blah. Brian Denny's never been up there with those. And whenever um, – I, I was at the uh, 
the Arkansas game in 07. That stadium shook when Matt Cadell caught that ball from John Parker Wilson with however many seconds to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I don't know if you're if y'all were there or not, but the damn the that place was. shook. The place shook, yeah. and so it used to be like that. Why? Because Bama hadn't had a natty in whatever uh, seven seventeen fifteen years or whatever, and then yeah. the fans were hungry. You know, we had a fresh coach who had, who had a, he was a, a recruiting phenom. He was a, a national championship winning head coach, and and this is somebody who had promise, and the fans were hungry. So it's been that way before. But it's not that way now, and and I don't think it ever will be unless they go into another 15-, 20-year natty drought. Mm-hmm. And a call out from those fake fans, man. <laughs> well, you got so many out-of-state fans that just don't understand. Like, that, you That's know, true. It's, just like, it's just like the players. You know, we bash the players for – you don't know about the Iron Bowl. You don't know about the third Saturday in October. You don't understand what it means to the tradition of the program. Um, but the students are the same way. I mean, you got a bunch of out-of-state fans – uh, it's, it's not their fault, you know. I yeah, mean, Alabama, we, like if we went to, a, place to go to school, we know that uh, Ohio State Michigan's a big rivalry. Are we going to go cheer for that game like we are for the Iron Bowl? Hell no, because this doesn't mean anything to us. It's a huge rivalry for them. Don't I mean it's huge? But if I go to that game and I pick a side, or if I if I go to Michigan to school, I'm not going to go like just cheer my ass off till I'm red in the face. Like I don't really care. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of yeah, makes know, perfect sense. And students are a big part of it. They're a bigger part than the rest of the fan. You know, students make up a large chunk of the uh, of the noise in that stadium. And we got a bunch of kids from New Jersey. Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, point point blank. I mean, more of the story when you're when you're in the stadium and you're not seeing the opposing team false start and do a bunch of uncharacteristic things and all that stuff. Yeah. You're not loud. You're not loud enough. Mm-mm. I mean, that's basically the basically the easiest way to put it. If you don't see it, you're not loud enough. So get damn louder. You know something? Have y'all noticed? When was the last time y'all heard Saban call out the crowd? He's quick. He knows it's not changing. Well, now like, he's talking about how good it is. And that's what he said. And so right. he's trying so to yeah. Texas game. It was good. Blah blah. So I mean, all, Texas all game was Texas game was louder. I will say that it was louder than it's been the last two or three years. But it's not as loud as it was ten years ago, twelve years ago. You see what I'm saying? Whenever the yeah, dynasty yeah. was in full swing. But yeah, no, no. Um, third Saturday in October, man. Tennessee, we hate Tennessee. Um, can't stand Tennessee. I, I asked you to pick out your favorite Tennessee game that you've that you've enjoyed the most. Tell me what it is and why. So, um, 2005, Roman Harper. Damn, knocks- dude, you weren't even a Bama fan, and you can't take that from me, bro. Yes, no. Look here. Um, I was at my grandparents' house. I oh believe my, my granddad had just um. Just a normal, just went outside, uh, probably fed some cows, worked some cows, did some outside work that morning. Um, grandma cooked breakfast, lunch, and then just a perfect day. And my aunt, I have an uncle who's a huge bammer. And um, coming from working, and that play happened like within five minutes of sitting down watching the game. Arian Foster's running out, getting ready to score, and just itty bitty Roman Harper at the time. Jars the ball loose, and I'll never forget Jamie Christensen with the dollar taped to his ankle. Um, I believe that was, yeah, I believe that was him with the dollar taped to his ankle, kicks the field goal um, a little later on to win that game. But um, sure enough, if Tennessee would have got that touchdown, they would have won. But Arian fought, I mean, um, Roman Harper jarred it loose on the goal line. So that was, that was, that was, that's one that's, 
That's one that just always sticks out in my mind that I vividly remember. Well, damn. All right. That was mine, too. But the Florida fan until 2008 <laughs> took it. <laughs> so, hang on. Landon, you do yours, man, because that shit. That, dude, I was like 13. That was my first big my first big time win in Bryant-Denny Stadium. And I know, you know, we went 10-2 and that year. So, it ain't like we went. We won a national championship or anything. Mike Sheila was the coach. and But it was like the first time I had seen, like, I had seen like an emotional game in that stadium. And I was finally old enough. Because, I mean, I'm sure I saw some when I was eight or nine. But maybe not. It's Alabama sucked so bad then at that time, around 2000. Um, but it was like the first one where I can remember being there. You know what I'm saying? And just having the emotion, I think I cried whenever Christensen hit the kick. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I was just full of emotion. It was like my first time actually feeling that, like, <laughs> in, the, in the stadium. And uh, so that was mine as well, but I'll find another one. Um, Landon, what was yours? Uh, mine, personally, uh, would have been two years later. Uh we Saban's first year, man. Yeah, when we beat, I was gonna we say beat that. Tennessee forty-one to seventeen. Noon we game, let him know. I, new sheriff in town, damn it. Yeah, I mean noon game. I was there, section K. I remember it like it was yesterday. My dad and I were there. Uh, great, absolutely great memory. Uh, man, John Parker Wilson was on fire that day. Over three hundred and fifty yards, three touchdowns. And th that Tennessee team had some dudes on that team. I mean, you're talking Arian Foster, running back. I mean, went to play with the Texans. I mean, I'm sure everybody remembers drafting Arian Foster for their fantasy team. Uh, LaMarcus Coker at receiver. I mean, Josh Briscoe, uh, Eric Ainge at quarterback, Eric Berry even playing. I mean, dude. Just some studs out there for that Tennessee team. And, man, DJ Hall had a hell of a game. I mean, we just absolutely bent them over and shoved it in raw. I mean, just a beat down of 40. I mean, that, that Alabama team went on to, you know, obviously we lost some Mississippi State and UL Monroe. There. I mean, still went seven and six that year in Saban's first year. But, yeah, that, that game right there was – 41 to 17 against that Tennessee team was uh, was awesome for me. That was that that's my favorite. That's my favorite of growing up and everything like that. The start uh, of the street. Yeah. That's my favorite one, right? I'll there. go I'll go this. This is a it's not it's just a funny story, really. Um uh, 2015 when we beat them 1914 and we had the late touchdown by Derrick Henry. Um I, I can't remember how many minutes were left. I just know it was late late in the fourth quarter. And I think we went for two and we didn't get it. So we're, it was, we're losing 14-13. And I sat down. We had two six, two seats in Section K down low on like the three-yard three yard line. It's probably the – or three row three, sorry. Um, it's probably the last time I actually sat down there. But I don't know why I sat down there. I can't remember. But my buddy Corey Kelly, who has been on this show before, he – asked me if I wanted some whiskey in, like, the second quarter. And I said, yeah. And he pulled out a whole damn pint or whatever. I, but it was huge. I don't really know. And I, I guess I guess it was a pint. But pulled the whole damn thing out of his boot. And we're just sitting there, and we drank all that whiskey. And I remember that we looked up in the fourth quarter. And while we were driving the ball, it was like 
we had just been cheering and just drinking and cheering and drinking. And then we finally realized on during that drive, it was like three minutes ago. We're like, holy shit, they were losing. <laughs> and it's like we just were overcome with emotion. We get pissed off and we start cheering even harder. And then D. Henry runs it in. And I guess we're just so used to it. That was the year we lost to Ole Miss, but we had just been rolling people since that Ole Miss game. Jake Coker had found his groove and and really up until that point, we had just been scoring on Tennessee at will. And, uh, you know, just in, in games before that, you scored 34, 45, 44, 37, 41. So you, we'd just been beating the hell out of Tennessee. And we really, I guess, weren't expecting them to play and expecting them to play us that tight. So I guess I'll have to take that as my uh, my third because actually you, both of you guys have my one and two because I love the streak starter, Landon. That was a great way to come in and be like, I own your ass now and there's not a damn thing you're going to do about it. Um mm-hmm. 15 years in a row. And then Lester, of course, the 05 game would, would have been my number one. But, um, guys, anything else y'all want to add before we hop off here? Not at all, man. Let's, let's, oh, good. let's have a good week. Damn. Let's have a good Saturday. Let's, have a, let's try to yes. play mistake free. Let's try to be accurate with the ball. Let's try to take care of the ball and let's let the defense eat. Well, Landon, we appreciate you hopping on here, man. Um, glad to get a, another point of view, you know, because you you click on this podcast, you listen to me, Lester and J-Law, it's the same thing. So we love to get different guys in here. And even though you might have said a lot of the same stuff we did, you have different stuff you add, and and that's why we loved having guests on here. We might make that a, a thing going forward. We'll have to talk to J-Law, decide what we want to do as a group. But um, we really appreciate you hopping on, man. Yeah, thank y'all for having me, man. I certainly appreciate it. Love doing it. Uh, yeah, bet of the week, by the way, for myself. Oh, I'm shoot, say, I forgot about that. My fault. Thank I, you for reminding I, me. Yeah, no problem. No, my bet of the week uh, is going to be under 48, Alabama, Tennessee. I'm going to take the under 48. I think that's the best bet of the week anybody can make. Because, And the reason being, I think we have a very good rush defense. I think Tennessee's going to be held in check in the running game. They have a ceiling in their offense when that is held in check. And then, obviously, we know our own offensive situation between Milrow, no running game, O-line, sacks, you know, all the above. So, take your money. Put it on under 48 Alabama, Tennessee. I don't think you're going to see a shootout in this game. I would be very surprised if you did. So, take the under 48 and enjoy. Hey, Ole Miss, six and a half points to cover. Take them down in Jordan-Hare. Do it. Do it. Say that again, Lester. Ole Miss minus six and a half in Auburn. I believe Kiffin's going to try to run it up. He's going to do what he can. That line is actually going up. I think it came out at five. Yeah, coming off a bye week. Ole Miss coming off a bye. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love uh, it, Missouri at home. Um, seven and a half, South Carolina. I think that's I think that's my favorite. Missouri's hot right now. Uh, they go on the road to Kentucky, um, a game where Kentucky was a favorite and and play really well. Um, so I, I love Missouri right now. And with Brock Bowers being out, watch out for Missouri to upset Georgia. I don't know where that game is being played, but I uh, I, I, I kind of like Missouri right now. They're very hot. So South Carolina coming off an emotional win at home. Now you got to go on the road to Como. I like Missouri plus a a touchdown and a hook, but. Guys, we appreciate y'all listening in. Um, Landon, once again, appreciate you filling in for for J Law. Um, if I can get my 
mouse to work here. <laughs> 